0: We're right in the middle of a series that we called I Quit. Uh, for the last two weeks, we've been looking at things that we do that unintentionally choke out the life that God wants to give us. The first week, we spent time looking at the reality that, that we often do the same thing that Moses did at the beginning of Exodus chapter 4. Right, where God has invited him into this grand journey to liberate Egypt, and Moses begins to make excuses. God, that can't be me. I can't speak that good. It, it's, it certainly can't be me that you want to do that through. And we all too often begin to make excuses when God wants to do something in our lives. We say, God, that's not me. God, I can't do that. But we learned that we need to quit making excuses. We need to trust God. And last week we looked at how oftentimes we let um, fear choke out the life that God wants to give us. When we choose to look at scenarios, just like Moses did, in the very first verse of Exodus chapter 4, where Moses says, but God, what, what if they don't listen to me when you send me back? And We learned last week that fear is oftentimes putting faith in in the what ifs. Right? It's, It's what if something happens to my kids? What what if we run out of money if we start tithing? What what if? Right? Fear is putting faith in the what if instead of putting faith in the God that created everything. Right? So we we've Kind of come to this point this week. I just kind of let you know where we're going to be for the next few weeks. Next week, I'm super excited. I'm I get to lead worship next week, and and Pastor Jimmy Udi is going to speak next week. All right, he's going to, he's going to talk about uh, how we need to quit complaining. Y'all just bring your steel toe boots next week. He's going to walk all over our toast, full permission to do that next week. And he's the perfect person to talk about that. Never complains. Never heard him complain one time. I love him. Such a a valued member of our staff. Thankful that he's going to be able to share with us next week. And then after that week, we launch into a series that we do every summer called At the Movies. All right, y'all, it's a great series. You don't want to miss it. It's a ton of fun. We're going to, we're going to feature three films this summer. We're going to feature Jurassic World. All right, which is out right now. If you want to do some sermon prep with me, go watch that. Right, Inside Out, which is the new Disney Pixar film. And then we're going to do um, a movie that I'm not, I don't really know how I feel about doing this movie. but I think it's called what, Ant Boy or something like, Ant Man. Something. It's, a, it's one of those Marvel uh, comic movies that comes out in the middle of July. So it's not out yet. We'll, we'll be there. Now this weekend, in, in preparation for this service, I put a and just thought I'd have a little fun with you. I put a post on Facebook and just said, "Hey, what do you what do you compare yourself against in other people?" Just thinking, maybe two or three of y'all would respond to that. And within uh, just three or four hours, I had off of the various social networks that I'm on, I had over 50 replies to it, which made me think at that moment as I was preparing, man, this is one of those messages that we need to hear. So what I did is I went back through and looked at how those um, statements, what you told me that you compare yourself against in other people, and I want to break it down for you today, and here's what, you've got some check boxes next to that, and as we go through this, if that's you, if you're the person that compares yourself that way, I want you to just pull a check box. Right next to that. Alright, the first one is that we compare appearances. Right? Their hair looks so good, but it's humid and mine's all like flat and curly and not the way it's supposed to be, right? Her body is so thin and mine is so not thin. <laughs> right. Look at his eyes. Man, I wish I wish I had eyes that looked like that, right? We we compare appearances. If that's you, I want you to check that one. Number two, we compare possessions. Man, look at that car they're driving. Man, they got them a new car. That's a big car. I bet they can fit all kinds of stuff in that car. I can't fit stuff in my car. I love that car. I wish I had that car. Man, we went to go visit my friends. Did you see their house? The house is so beautiful. And they got so much nice stuff, and it's decorated so well they got nice colors on the wall they actually have family portraits that are framed and actually on the wall people that's awesome. You know how much money he makes i mean i'm you know i'm I'm just a whatever you are you know how much we compare possessions. That's you I want you to check that one. Number three, we compare performance. Man, did you see that other person at the job that you know I know my sales numbers, they were a little bit better than theirs. I've been looking at. I've been tracking them. I'm doing better than I know they're in another region, but I'm I'm doing better. Man, my kids in my classroom, and their scores were up here, theirs are weight. I'm oh. We compare, and did you see his wife when we were over? His wife brought him coffee after they had dinner. She actually got up and made coffee and then poured coffee in a cup and brought it across the room and sat it down right there with him. The, his wife made him coffee, y'all. Did you see his? Her husband brought her flowers today to work. Did you see that? He just walked right all up in the middle of work carrying some flowers, y'all. He's such a good husband. I wish I had a husband that would do that. And did you see the way their kids behaved? And their kids were all on point. Like there was no like queso on the front of their shirts at all. I mean, those kids knew how to take chips and put them in the case. The kid's only two years old. I don't know how he knows how to. I can't even do it. I'm 40. He's got queso and he's not getting it on his shirt. How did that family, how did you parents, y'all are knocking it out. In huh. the last one. If that's you, check performance. And the last one is circumstances. And I'm going to be honest with you. There's some of y'all that sent me Messages, I mean, some of these, like I read them and in my heart just sank a little bit. I had a mom who's not from around here that I'm friends with who's had a pretty rough several years. Two years ago, she had a small child that was born with a defect. And she sent me an email and she said, I know that I'm not supposed to do this, but when my kid is around other kids... I compare how my kid is to a healthy kid. Some of you said, you know, I'm living without a parent for the first time. And I compare what it's like to go through the holidays with my friends that have their parents around. Situations. See, the thing that I want to help kind of bring into focus today for you. If that's you, I want you to check that you compare circumstances. The thing that I I want you to see today is that that comparison, when we live our lives by comparison, it, it, it is going to literally strip you of a lot of what God has intended to give you. Okay? And here's the problem with that hodgepodge of comparison that we often do. And here's I, I want you to see how this works for us. As we sit back and we go, oh, I got this friend over here. They got the nice house. I really want that house. And I got this friend over here. I really admire how his wife treats him. And I got this friend over here. Man, he's just got the perfect body. I would love to have that. And then I got this friend over here. He is just the, the coolest guy that I've ever met. He's just so fun to be around. I would love to be like him. And then I got, got this friend over here, man, he's just the best dad I would love, and we start pulling things in from everywhere, creating a mirage of somebody that doesn't exist that we're comparing ourselves to. You see, the family that's over here that's a great dad, well, oftentimes, you you may notice that they may not have all the stuff that the family that's over here that has all the nice house and nice stuff has because dad's absent. Dad's present here. See, we create a mirage of what we're comparing ourselves to. So what I'd like to do is, we get started, I'd like to walk you through just a, a, a real basic understanding of why we compare ourselves to other people. The first thing, this isn't in your notes, but I'd take notes if I were you, is that our lives are often navigated by exposure. Our lives are often navigated by exposure, all right? The reason you like that pair of shoes that you want so bad is because you saw them on somebody else, all right? The reason you want to adapt your family to live a little differently is because at some point you were exposed to an idea that you hadn't been exposed to. Truth is, is that we don't learn anything without being exposed to it. The problem is not in exposure. The problem is how do we navigate being exposed to something new? See, because number two, we think about ourselves in ways that care for our ego. And this is where we're going to find that comparison, living a life that is, is navigated holistically by comparison, this will rob you of some significant uh, just flavor that God wants to add to your life. This is so important, y'all. See, we, we w- want to, to feel good about ourselves, don't we? And so we'll look at other people and we'll go, hey, you know what? They may have that new car, but I bet they're in debt. My car doesn't look that good. It doesn't look real good, but you know what? It's paid for. I ain't got any payments. I feel good about that. And there's something subtle that's going to happen in the course of doing that. We're going to see that today. And here's the real we reason why uh, why we want to navigate our lives away from comparing. Number three, we desperately want to know that we're good enough. So we, we, we compare because we want to know that we're good enough. We, we want to be the people who, and you know, when we're, When we're looking at at, at other people, when we're thinking about ourselves, when we're existing, we want to feel, and here's here's the tension, all right? How are you going to know that you're good enough? Because if you know that you're good enough, simply by comparison, eventually you're going to meet somebody that's going to make you not feel like you're good enough. And we're going to have to make a decision as to whose voice is going to matter when it comes to, are we good enough? We're going to have to choose to look into the heart of God and say, God, what you say about me, well, that matters the most. Not how I feel like I stack up against everybody at work or in life. God, what you say about me. Your opinion of me, God. Well, that's what decides whether I'm good enough or not. And we see that tension emerging in Exodus 3 and 4 as we look at Moses. You look at Moses and God who has descended out of heaven to stand in front of Moses, to invite him into a new adventure. Moses, I'm going to take you. I know you have ran away. I know that you have been sinful. You've murdered. But Moses, I have a plan for your life. And I intend to take you back to Egypt. And I'm going to use you, almost exclusively you, Moses. I'm going to use you to liberate my people. I've heard their prayers. I've heard their cries. I've seen them weeping as they've lost family members, dads and moms that have been murdered and lost as slaves. And Moses, I'm done sitting back. I'm going to send you. And Moses goes, what? Me? I mean, you got to have somebody better for this than me, right? I mean, there's got to be somebody. I can't. God, God. first of all, they're not going to listen to me. All right? I grew up in Pharaoh's house. I grew up in, in the house of, of the king. I was, I was one of the other guys. Why would they even listen to me if I go back and, two, God, I can't even speak good. I know what's about to happen. The only reason that they're going to respond to this is if I actually can sit in front of them and communicate what you've told me, but, God, I can't even speak. God, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough for you. I'm afraid that there's some of us in this room that even though you may never have been able to put your finger on what's cost it, there's something inside of you that has caused you to say that you're not good enough. You've heard the voice of the Lord. You've sensed God's calling on you. you. You've seen in glimpses that your life could be a little bit bigger, a little bit broader than you're living right now. But you have chosen to believe a lie that you're not good enough. Because here's what I want you to see today. When we live a life that compares to other people, We're going to always feel like we're not good enough. But when we look into the heart of God and say, God, I want to live a life that's navigated by you. Well, you know what happens. Whatever he calls us to do, we're good enough to do it. See, I think God hates when we compare. I think he hates it. And I don't use that word lightly. I think he hates it. I think as, a, as a, a dad, one of the most painful things that you encounter as a parent is two kids that are created so very differently that look at each other to gauge how life should be. And every once in a while, one of them will say, but I'm not good enough because I see this one that can do this. I'm not as fast. I'm not as smart. And I think that when God looks at us, and we're comparing ourselves to other people and saying, "But God, I know that you want me, but I'm not—I'm just—I'm not smart enough, God. I'm—I'm am I'm not God, I'm not talented enough to do that. I'm not skilled enough, God. I—I don't—I don't. Everything that that other person has that I see that I think you could use them, God. I—I I don't think. I think God hates it. Not because He hates us, but because He hates it for us. I want to give you three reasons why God hates comparing. Number one, comparison is the death of contentment. Comparison is the death of contentment. Y'all listen. One of the things that God wants us to learn is that in life, we have very limited power to enact uh, how we address certain circumstances. But one of the things that God has given us the power over is how we respond to them. Okay, We can't often change our circumstances. We can't be, you know, the, the people that go outside. We don't have the magic wand to wave and make the rain stop. Or in the dry weeks to, Wave the wand and make it rain. There's so much about our circumstances that we, but what we can control is how we respond to our circumstances. Look at what 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. Now, listen to that. We do not dare. Don't dare. Don't you dare. You ever heard, you ever said that to your kids? I here's something I've learned with, with as a parent. There's like a continuum of of reprimands, right? It starts off, with, "Don't do that." Then it's, you know, "No, no," and then you start using names like "No, Clayton." Do not eat the sand. We just got back from a beach, right? And and we're on vacation for a week. Uh, Two year olds in sand. That's just a whole different kind of vacation, right? Do not eat the. Don't eat the sand, Clay. Then after a while, it's, you're going to use the middle name. I don't know if any of y'all do that, right? Clayton Memphis, do not eat the sand. And after a while, you get to, don't you dare. Now, when your mama says, don't you dare, that's a big deal. You ever notice that? Don't you dare do that. I'm going to slap you, right? I mean, it's just not going to go well. So when the Bible says, when the Bible says, don't you dare. We need to pay attention. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Do you all know what the opposite of wise is? The antithesis, the antonym, if you will, of wise Let me just give you the word that the Bible uses, fool. Fool. Foolish. If you compare yourself to other people, it is being explicitly clear in this moment to say, hey, that's just about as foolish as you can be. It's not going to lead you anywhere. They're just comparing themselves to other. Don't dare do that because... It's going to kill your capacity to be content. Y'all listen to me. When we start comparing, it kills our joy. It robs meaning out of where we are in life and it destroys relationships. It's deadly, y'all. It's deadly. See, not only does it, Do all of that. But number two, comparison makes us prideful. Because there are some times we look upon people and we compare ourselves to them and wish that we could be like them. But there are other times that we compare ourselves to folks and we look at them. And somewhere in the recesses of our heart, we say these ugly words. I thank God that I'm not like them. And I know to some of y'all that doesn't sound so ugly, but I'm going to put some context on that and let you see just how ugly that is. Luke 18, verse 11 and 12. Jesus is teaching on prayer, and he's going to share a prayer that a Pharisee, a pastor, had prayed in temple, in public, around other people. The Pharisee stood by himself... Okay, so off away from people, he stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. What's that look like to you? That looks like pride, doesn't it? See, when we compare, we've got two directions that we go. We start to loathe our lives or we start to get prideful. I love what C.S. Lewis said. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. See, at its root... Pride begins with comparison. And number three, and I'm afraid that this is where some of us are today, comparison makes us resentful. Comparison makes us resentful. In 1 Samuel 18, We're living in that moment in the tension between two kings. Saul is the crowned king of Israel. And God has sent the prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem and has crowned and anointed the next king. It's going to be a young man named David. You see, David has been meaningful to Saul, he showed up when he was just a boy. When Saul's army was scared, senseless, not willing to engage the Philistines or the giant Goliath. And David showed up. You know what he was doing at the battle? He wasn't a soldier. He wasn't even supposed to be there. His dad sent him with some cheese to take to his brothers who might be hungry. And David said, do you hear the way that man's talking about my God? He can't do that. I don't want your armor. Just let me, let me go at it. And he killed the giant Philistine Goliath. After that, Saul would be kind of stricken with some pretty serious uh, conditions. We, we would maybe call it panic attacks these days. And the Lord would use David to come and play music to him and soothe him. And after that, David became a soldier, and he started leading. and, And after a while, he was so successful that in that passage of Scripture, as David is returning home from battle, the women in the land begin to sing a song. Saul has killed us thousands, but David has killed us tens of thousands. And the Bible records... That at that moment, after all that David had done for Saul, his heart did a 180 on David. Because now, in the court of public opinion, David was being compared to Saul. And Saul was the lesser of the two. And from that moment on, Saul sought to kill David. I want you all to see this. This is in your notes, and this is so important. When we compare we will resent God's goodness to others and ignore God's blessing in our own lives. When we live a life that compares, we will resent the good things that God has done to other people and we will ignore the blessings that God has given us. See, I want you to understand today That living a life that is navigating itself simply by comparing yourself to other people so that you can gauge where you're at. It is robbing you of what God wants you to have in life. It's leading you to be prideful with people that you think you're better than. It's leading you to loathe your life when you see people that you think are better than you. And God hates that for you. See, God wants you to be able to be content with where you are and what you have, to be able to look at other people that God has blessed and say, that is awesome for them. Praise God for what he did for my brother or my sister, for my friend. Because when we can do that, we can also look into our lives. and we can see. That God's been here too. So today I want to give you two quick keys for you to stop comparing yourself to others. How do we quit comparing? The first thing that you need to do today is that you need to know what you have. You need to know what you have. See, we talked about this earlier and many of you, as we went through the things that we compare, and many of you said, well, hey, you know what? I'm comparing possessions, performance. I'm comparing that that some people, well, they have uh, their dad is still around, but my, mine's not right now. Here's the thing. To first begin to address comparison, you need to know what you have Let's look at Philippians 4. Before we look at the Scripture, I want to tell you about this little passage of Scripture and where the Apostle Paul, the author of the book that's the letter to the church at Philippi, where he's writing it from. I've mentioned this several times, but just so we're all on the same page today, I want you to know this. The book of Philippians is written when the Apostle Paul has been imprisoned. He's waiting trial, okay? His, his cell, was solid, almost concrete, all right? It was barely about 10 by 10, maybe let's just say about 8 by 8, all right? This is where he spent almost all day long. He didn't get potty breaks, y'all. The ceiling on the cell that he was retained in, was only about four foot tall, which meant that he would never have been able to stand up. And in the middle of that, he pinned the book to the Philippians, and he wrote these words: "I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances.." I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here it is. I can do this, all of this, through him who gives me strength. The Apostle Paul says, if you want to begin to take the right steps towards being content, the first thing you've got to understand, to stop comparing yourselves, you've got to know what you have. And he says, I found the secret. I don't know about y'all, but when, when someone says, I found a secret to do something that I really want to do, I listen to them. I found this, you know, like there's a hundred books that say we found the the secret to how to grow your church, right? There's a thousand of those. There's all kind of books that are going to say, here's the secret to upping your sales numbers. Well, here's the Bible saying, I found the secret to be content in whatever circumstance you're facing. And it's that verse. In that verse, we often apply that verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We often apply that to moments that we're facing difficult things. But here's what the Apostle Paul's saying. He's saying that if you want to be content, you've got to realize what you have right now. You have Jesus. And if you can't be content with the creator of the world, you're not going to be content with a new pair of shoes if you can't be content with the one who fashioned the universe, you're never going to be content with the bigger house. If you're not content with the love that the Father has so generously lavished on us through his grace and forgiveness, you're never going to be content with a husband that performs better than anybody else's. I have found The secret to being content, and it's this. I can do all things, everything, anything that sets in front of me, I can do it because I have Jesus, and I'm content with him. You've got to know what you have right now. And number two, you need to know who you are. You need to know who you are. I love that in Exodus 3 and 4, God describes a Moses that Moses does not seem to know about. God says, Moses, I'm going to send you back. You're going to liberate my people. Moses says, that's not me. (laughs) There's no way. He's like, no, no, you. that's you. I see that in you. You see, I think there's a lot of us in here today that in a comprehensive understanding of who God sees us to be, we don't see it. As a matter of fact, we're missing it. And I want you to see this small verse, man. This is one of those that many of you need to take home, write it on a a postcard, write it on a note card, tape it to the dash on your on your car, you, because this is important. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship. God made you. However you are, whatever your strengths, whatever your weaknesses, whatever you you naturally are gifted at, whatever you naturally struggle with, God made you to be you. And listen when you start looking at somebody else that God made to be them and start saying my life should be like them, you start to miss out on the goodness that lies in you being you. So as we get ready to close today, I thought it might be nice to remind you who you are. The first thing that I want you to know is that you are loved. 1 John 3.3, you are loved. God loves you. He cares about you. The best father that you could ever imagine in the world pales in comparison to who God wants to be in your life. He loves you. Number two, you are accepted. You are accepted as you are in your failure with all of that. When we choose to turn to God and say, God, I I want to live for you, God says, come here. I don't care. You've been eating sand, right? You're going to have one of those poops in just a little bit, but I love you anyway. I'll hold you. I accept you because you're my son. I am accepted. Number three, I am a child of God. 1 John 1, 2, God has adopted us into his family. Number four, I am a joint heir with Christ, Romans 8, 17. That means that all the, the goodness that God intended to birth in the world eternally through Jesus, that God has allowed us to, as, as brothers and sisters under Him, in the family of God, to be an heir to the same birthright. That's a powerful reality, y'all. Number five, I am a member of Christ's body. First Corinthians 12:27. Number six, I'm a saint, and you're not a saint because of how you behave. Y'all get this right. You're a saint because of who God said you were. Number seven, I am redeemed and forgiven. Y'all, that means at some point, there's a price put on you. And God said, I, I, "I'll pay that price. I, I love them so much. I, whatever I, the, the price being my son, I'll pay that so that I can, so that I can buy them out of slavery. You are redeemed and forgiven. Number eight, I am complete in Jesus Christ. You are broken on your own. You are flawed on your own. You are weak on your own, but you are complete in Jesus. Number nine, I am free from condemnation. I'm free from condemnation. Romans 8.1. Number 10, I'm a new creation because I am in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17. I'm a new creation. The old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Number 11, I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved, Colossians 3.12. The last one that we just read. I am God's workmanship. I'm God's design. God made me. And he made me to make a difference. When we spend our lives looking at the way someone else has been made, the way someone else has been blessed, and comparing ourselves to them, all we do is miss out on what God wants to do in us. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this morning. And we ask that, God, as we spend the next few moments just sitting here contemplating your word today, that you would challenge us in places that we might feel a little complacent. God, I ask that those of us that have been in here comparing our lives away, God, that you would by your grace and mercy today come and and liberate us from that. God, let us quit living that way. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to ask yourself this question today. Have you been letting comparison rob you of the life that God wants to give you? Have you been so focused on other people that you've taken your eyes off of Jesus? Maybe that's you today. and You say, that's me. I've done that. I'm tired of doing that. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm tired of looking at the way God's blessed somebody else and not being happy for them. I'm tired of looking at other people that I feel like I'm doing better than them and being proud. I'm tired of this. Maybe today you might realize that within that decision to say, I quit, there's a decision to say, God, I'm going to choose you above all this. God, I'm going to choose you. If that's you today and you're here and you say, hey, there's, there's a ton of stuff going on in my life, but I want to say right now in this moment that I choose Jesus. I choose to follow Him. I choose to give my life to Him. I choose to let go of all the comparisons that have been killing my life, and I'm going to let my life be focused on Him. If that's you, raise your hand right now. Awesome. Who else? Who else? Maybe you're here today and you'd say... <laughs> I've been been comparing my life away, and I want to just take this moment right now in front of Jesus and say, I'm tired of it. I'm not going to do it anymore. That that's you, raise your hand. I quit comparing. I'm going to quit comparing myself. Amen. So, God, for those that are here today, those that need the liberty to step out of a life of comparison, God, would you, by your mercy and grace, free us to follow you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.